Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Good morning. Welcome to CT Church again. I want to begin this morning by uh, just sharing with you three things that I believe to be true. I'm not saying that I am uh, the all uh, knowing, all seeing, uh, you know, person. I'm just saying these are three things that I believe are true. The first thing that I believe is this I believe we've just experienced what is one of, if not the most historic week in the history of our country this past week. I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying it's historic. The second thing that I believe is I believe that. Corruption has potentially stolen the voice of the American people right now. Potentially. But there's a third thing that I believe. And that is, I believe that God is in control. Do you believe that this morning? I'm telling you, nothing that happened this past week caught God off guard. God didn't wake up and say, oh my goodness, look what's going on here. He's completely in control. We're living in some kind of fearful times for some people. And quite often, the problem is this. As Christians, none of us are ever called to live in fear. Why? Because we either are going to believe that God is in control or we're not. Now, if you choose not to believe He's in control, you're going to live a life full of fear. Feel free to fear. But if you do, in fact, believe that God is in control, His Word tells us we don't have to live in fear. How do we know this? We know it because of 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you think you're going crazy from everything that's going on in the world, remember, no God... He didn't make you crazy. In fact, He's given you a sound mind. Aren't you thankful for that? So, knowing that, if we are experiencing fear in our lives, we know this much with absolute certainty. The fear is not coming from God. Amen? So what does that tell us about the source of our fear? It tells us that if our fear is not from God, then it's obviously coming from an ungodly source. We need to recognize that, amen? And we need to know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a promise from God that we can stand on. Spent some time again rereading the book of Daniel this week. In times of fear and uncertainty, one of the greatest books of the Bible you can read through is the book of Daniel. What an incredible hero of the faith. Daniel was a guy who absolutely never demonstrated fear in, in the face of tyrannical injustice or corruption of any kind. Man, he just kept plugging along, didn't he? The story of Daniel is a perfect example to all of us on how to remain completely steadfast during these times of uncertainty, times of unrest, potentially times of just outright corruption. Daniel had a secret to his success. Let me give you the timeline this morning. 
In about 605 B.C., 605 years before Christ, Babylon overthrows Jerusalem and takes all of the Israelites into captivity. And the Babylonian Empire had grown so fast that they didn't have enough educated men to work in government. Some things never change. You got that better than the first group this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Daniel and his three friends were forcibly brought to Babylon to try to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture and to be trained up as leaders. His three friends were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but we know them better as what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know that because those of us that grew up in church, you know, in Sundays, we've heard that story a hundred times. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know about Daniel in the lion's den. And we know that when they were first brought into captivity, they were given food from the king's table. Food that went against Jewish law. And Daniel, he made a choice right off of the bat. He didn't hesitate. He made a choice. He was not going to defile himself, to go against his Jewish beliefs. And so Daniel told the chief official, listen, you give these guys whatever you want, we're not going to eat that. You give us vegetables and just water and gave him a list of foods to eat. He said, and then in 10 days, you, you take a look and see if we don't look just as good as they do. You remember this story, right? At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends didn't look the same as the others. They looked, they looked better. And at the end of the day, they, were, they, they looked better. They were more fit. And this is, this is cool. God gave these four young men greater knowledge, wisdom, and understanding than all the rest of the other trainees, per se. And in verse 20, chapter 1, uh, verse 20 of chapter 1, this is what we read. It says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. But it's, it's in the last verse of chapter 1 that I find so intriguing. Verse 21 is kind of a bit of a brain te teaser. What does it mean is the question. What does it mean? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to give my interpretation this morning of Daniel 1.21. I mean, what? This is an incredibly powerful, expressive piece of Scripture. Are you ready? I mean, the verse is so eye-opening, it's going to blow your mind. You sure you're strapped in? You ready here? This verse encapsulates the secret of Daniel's success in becoming such a great hero of the faith. And here it is. I'm going to read it right now. This is going to blow your mind. Verse 21. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Wow, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's deeper than you think. That's the secret of his success. Once you read it, it's as plain as the nose on your face. In fact, it is the title of this message this morning. Daniel continued, and so can you. So can you. Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. This verse just kind of comes out of left field, doesn't it? 
It's explaining what Daniel did in the midst of all the chaos that is now brought into his life. He continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. It's a very curious piece of scripture, one of those great little verses that kind of raises as many questions as it answers. But if you will diagram the sentence, how many of you remember back in English class diagramming sentences? Boy, that was fun and exciting, wasn't it? You diagram this sentence, and it says, it tells us this. You, as you break it down, you find the action verb, is what the, the action verb that describes exactly what he did. What did he do? He continued. Continued is the action verb. But it raises the question, doesn't it? He continued to do what? Did he continue to just eat vegetables? I don't know. Did he continue to only drink water? I don't know. Did he continue to look handsome? I don't know. You know, we can't all be in that boat, right? I don't know what he did. Did he continue to be ten times smarter than everybody else? It kind of sounds like that one's true, for sure. It just doesn't really say exactly what he continued to do. However, it says that he continued to do it up through the reign of King Cyrus. And you know how long that was? 75-year period. So let's say Daniel is in his mid-teens when he's brought into captivity. For the next 75 years, he continued to do whatever it was he was doing. For the next 75 years. Basically, it's telling us that Daniel continued to do what he did for the rest of his life. It's a lot of questions raised by one itty-bitty, teeny-weeny little verse there, isn't it? Well, you're going to be interested in knowing this morning that I've got a theory what he continued to do. If you're not interested, you might want to just get up and leave now because that's pretty much what I'm going to be talking about here for the next, you know, two or three hours. The loudest laugh comes from my own blood, isn't it? So it doesn't actually say exactly what he continued to do. In order to answer this puzzling question, what did Daniel continue to do? What you have to do is you have to keep reading the rest of the book. You can't just stop by saying, he continued. Because no questions are answered. But if you will read to the end of the book... It answers the question, what did he continue to do? There's three incredibly important decisions that Daniel made when he was first brought into captivity in Babylon. And those three decisions that he made right up front, he continued to do the rest of his life. And it served him incredibly well. The first decision that Daniel made was this. He chose character over comfort. Character over comfort. Daniel and his three friends had just arrived in Babylon. It didn't take him very long to see how wicked and sinful the ways of Babylon were. And he knew, if I'm going to survive, I've got to make a choice right now. I've got to draw a line in the sand right up front here. If it costs me my life, I don't care. I'm going to make a choice for right. Amen? Verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Resolve means he had to think about it, he had to let it mull around, and then he made a decision. 
In fact, if you look up the word resolved, it says to come to a definite or earnest decision, a determination. He was steadfast in his decision to not compromise his faith in God. This was surely a very uncomfortable situation to be in, right? Nothing comfortable about being in captivity. Nothing comfortable about them bringing you the king's food and saying, this is what you're going to eat. And then you say, oh, no, I'm not. Because back then, anytime you questioned the king, it didn't take long and your head was just rolling down the aisle. That's how things operated. You didn't question the king. But this was, so this was a very uncomfortable thing. It's always so much more comfortable to just go along with the crowd, right? Let's just not rock the boat. Let's just, we live in a day and age where it's becoming more and more rare for people to choose character over comfort. Most people just want to be comfortable. And they'll do pretty much whatever it takes to remain in their comfort. We see it every day. People make bad decisions. Sometimes that affect them for the rest of their life because of peer pressure. Anyone ever make any questions, any decisions based on peer pressure? It was more comfortable to just go along with them? You know, I shared a story before. I've only got so many life stories, so if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. When I was in high school especially freshman and mainly freshman and sophomore year. I started to grow up a little bit after that, but freshman and sophomore year, man, I was just full of ideas. And I had a group of friends around me that most often went along with my ideas. Not a good idea. But sometimes my sister, her car on Tuesdays, her, she didn't use her car and it would just sit in front of our house all day long. And sometimes, me and my three other friends, we would decide, hey, tomorrow let's skip school and let's just go for an all-day joyride. We did it a couple times. And we talked about doing it this third or fourth time. Good idea. I'm bringing it up. They say, yeah, let's do that. But now we weren't complete idiots, so we knew that if when we leave the house in the morning and the gas tank is on half, let's say, when we get back at the end of the day, it needs to be where? On half. But we didn't have any gas money. No problem. I had an idea. I said, guys, here's what we do. You know, all those school buses in the high school parking lot, none of them are diesel. They all run on gas. We take this hose over. We take this five-gallon bucket, five-gallon gas can. We get us some gas. Tomorrow we ride. And they said, that is a good idea. <laughs> and so there we are. In the high school parking lot, all those buses are kind of lined up. Problem is, the high school parking lot is never dark. It's lit up like the 4th of July at night. We just didn't think anybody would notice. So we're standing there in between the buses with our hose coming out into our five-gallon gas can when all of a sudden, one of the, we lived in a small town. We knew most of the police officers by first name. And Officer Larry pulled into the high school parking lot, very calm, kind of slow, just came up right by us and parked facing us. The lights are on us and... There we are standing beside the bus, hose is coming out, and I kind of scoot over a little bit. And he says, what are you guys doing? Of course, we gave him an incredible answer. We said, were you there? 
Exactly. That's what we Oh, nothing. So, well, I can't help but notice the hose coming out of the bus going into your five-gallon gas can. Oh, yeah. Well, long story short, they put the three of us in the back of the police car. None of us had ever ridden in a police car. We thought we were headed to prison. And they took us to the Morton Township Police Department, and they had us sit in some chairs out there in the lobby, and we were just waiting to be you know, hauled off to prison, basically. Probably sat there about five minutes. Of course, when you're sitting in a police station, five minutes seems like five hours. Who knows what I'm talking about? A couple of you willing to admit what it is. <laughs> he raises his hand like he knows what I'm talking about. How old are you? Nine. <laughs> Boy, you got an early start to your criminal life of criminal activity. Already knows what it's like to be sitting in the police department for five minutes. <laughs> so finally, the guy comes out. We're all sweating. We're waiting for him to slap the cuffs on us and haul us off, you know, for this horrible crime that we've committed. And he said, well, I said, guys, your parents are on your way to pick you up right now. And so we thought for a minute, well, which is worse? I don't know which is better or worse, you know, them throwing us in the clink or our parents coming to pick us up. Because when our parents, my parents, their parents came to pick us up and we got home, life was not good. Who knows what I'm talking about? Life was not good. And, uh, and actually what ended up is they said, well, now every Wednesday right after school, you, buy, you guys come into the police, uh, uh, police department here and, and you let us know what you've been up to. Check in. So we had to do that every Wednesday night for like a month. We'd go in, what you guys been up to? Oh, we've been good, haven't done anything. Okay, you can go. That's about all it amounted to, but we just thought for sure we were going to prison. And the fact, I guess the whole example is, I came up with this idea, and they all thought it was a great idea. But little did we know, about an hour later, we'd all be sitting in the police department thinking, well, this was a really stupid idea. How many of you have been in that position where all of a sudden you're sitting somewhere thinking, this was the dumbest idea I could have ever come up with. But a lot of times we choose comfort over character, don't we? And when we choose comfort over character, you can almost set your watch. At some point, you're going to be sitting somewhere thinking, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I do this? Now, this particular passage of Scripture that we're talking about, first of all, it's just talking about the food that they ate. Daniel was resolved not to eat the food that had been possibly offered to idols. He's refusing to sacrifice his character for comfort. But as I said, we live in a society today that it seems very easy for people to sacrifice character for comfort. No, nobody's going to mind, you know, if I take a few things home from the office. Oh, maybe I need to just pad my expense account a little bit, you know, and it's not going to make much difference. Who's going to know the difference? Here's a big one. Hey, everybody fudges a little on their income tax. Fudges. Isn't that a, isn't that a nice, kind word for everybody lies on their income tax? I didn't lie. I, I fudged a little bit. A letter was sent to the IRS guy wrote a letter to the IRS that said, Dear Sirs, last year when I filed my income tax return, I deliberately misrepresented my income. 
I'm now having trouble sleeping at night, so enclosed you will find $150 in cash. If I find that I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. That's the world we live in today, right? So easy to compromise your faith when, when wrongful behavior so often is the norm. Daniel was resolved to be different. He's going to be different, and I'm telling you, he was different. He was so different that as the years went by, I'd say all the kings invite all of the advisors, magici magicians, the soothsayers, whatever they're called, they all grew to hate Daniel. Why? Because God was continually blessing his life with much greater insight than they had. You know, there was a point where the king had this dream and he wanted, he called in all of his, you know, soothsayers and advisors and said, I want you to explain this dream to me and they said hey piece of cake what was the dream he said oh no that's not how this is going to work they said what king said no you're going to tell me what the dream was and then you're going to interpret it for me and I mean boy they puckered up big dime they said we have to tell you the dream and they moaned and they groaned. The king said, yes, you're going to tell me the dream. In fact, if you're unable to tell me the dream, I'm just going to have all of you, I'm going to have your heads cut off, all, every, each and every one of you. Boy, they're sweating bullets at this point. And they're moaning and they're groaning and they keep telling the king how unfair this is. Yeah, we live in a world still today that you're going to, if you're, if you're waiting on everything to be fair, man, you're going to be waiting a long time you will probably experience more unfairness in your life than you, on planet Earth here than you will experience fairness. Because sinners outnumber the Christians by a heavy margin. So just get ready for it and just know how to deal with it. And when it happens, don't get all bent out of shape. Don't get all excited. Just continue doing what God wants you to do. Just continue. It's not going to be fair. So anyway, they're all about to be killed when they call upon Daniel. Hey, Daniel, he might be able to do this. Daniel goes up, and the king says, you have to tell me my dream and then interpret it. So Daniel spent the night praying, going to his God, God Jehovah, saying, God, you've got you've to, man, you've got to give me this dream. And we know that God did, in fact, Tell him the dream. He goes back before the king, tells him the whole dream, tell, tells him what it means. Whew. All those guys, he saves their bacon because he came up with the answer. And they just loved him for that, right? No, they continued to hate his guts. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So, we know that Daniel continued to make these life-changing decisions. I want to jump ahead to chapter 6 in the book of Daniel. We're jumping ahead many, many years, and we read this. It pleased Darius, who was now king, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. What is that? That's a nice way of saying 
These three guys were watching over these 120 to make sure they didn't steal the kingdom blind. That's their job. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. You know how old Daniel is at this point? He's about 80 years old. He has been keeping on, keeping on for a long time, hasn't he? What a stark contrast to politicians of today. Can you imagine anyone being in political office for 60 years and nobody can dig up some dirt on them? Not going to happen today. I don't care what party they belong to, right? It's unheard of today. It's like everybody's got some skeletons in the closet somewhere, regardless of what party they represent. The satraps knew they were never going to find fault, moral fault in Daniel. The only way is if there was like a law against prayer, because that's all the guy does. Eighty years had passed. Daniel has still yet to trade his character for comfort. But it brings us to the second choice he made. The second choice was Daniel chose discipline over disorder. As you read through the book of Daniel, it does not take you long at all to establish the fact that Daniel had a very disciplined life, including a very disciplined prayer life. In chapter 6, verse 10, we read that he got down on his knees three times a day to spend time in prayer to God. Every day, every day, Three times a day. Everybody knew it. Everybody could see him. Everybody knew. What does this guy do? What does he continue to do? He continues to pray. Discipline in your prayer life will keep disorder out of your daily life. Jot it down. Discipline in your prayer life will keep disorder out of your daily life. You can put quote by Pastor Doug, even though I stole it from somebody else. But you, you can write that down. It's a good, it's a good one. You know, it, it raises the question, do you, you know, how often do you feel all stressed? I mean, sometimes do you ever feel like pulling your hair out? I can tell some of you guys have, including me. You know, sometimes you just get all, you know, the world's going so nuts, you just feel like screaming. You know, whenever you start to get out of sorts. You're getting all stressed out. Anxiety is building up in your life. Exactly the first thing you need to do is not examine the situations that are going on around you that seem to be causing this stress. The first thing you need to check is your prayer life. That's the first thing. There's no greater calming quality that any of us have than spending some time talking to God. Is there anyone here, after spending time talking with God, when you got finished, you were so full of anxiety and stress and you were just freaking out? That's not the way it happens. He brings calmness. He brings joy. He brings order into our life, not disorder. So examine the prayer life. A lot of times people say, I am so busy. I'd like to spend more time in prayer. Man, I tell you, I'm just too busy. The truth is, we're all too busy not to spend time in prayer. 
Because the busyness without the prayer is going to lead to a life of disorder. That is the absolute truth. Daniel was so incredibly successful in everything he did, and it wasn't dumb luck, was it? He had God's blessing and anointing on his life. I think a lot of times in life, the difference between success and failure in our lives, it has less to do with our personal abilities and has a lot more to do with our personal discipline. I'm just telling you. Daniel had incredible discipline over three of the most important areas of his life. He had discipline over his actions. How many of you have ever done something and thought, man, that was dumb and you regretted doing it? Needed a little more discipline over your actions. He had discipline over his tongue. Oh, man, that's a big one. How many of you have let your tongue get yourself in trouble? Six of you raised your hand, which means next week we'll be talking about lying. Six of you let your tongue get in trouble. Come on, we know better. But the third thing he had control over, this is huge. He had discipline over his thoughts. He didn't entertain the comfort over character discussion. He didn't even let it roll around in his mind. He just immediately said, nope, character is always going to come above comfort. He controlled his thought life. And you know, the truth is this, if you can gain control of your thought life, then all of these other areas, they're going to fall in line. Because the only reason your tongue gets you in trouble, or your actions get you in trouble, is because you didn't control your thought life, which is where it all starts, right? So we ask, you know, how are we doing in this area? Ask yourself, how are you doing? Do you ever do things that if people knew about it, you'd just be completely ashamed? If that's the case, you're not controlling your thought life and it's getting you in trouble. How disciplined is our tongue? Does our tongue constantly get us in trouble? Somebody said this. This is a great quote. They said, more people get run over by gossip than by automobiles. Boy, there's truth in that. And yet a lot of people consider, this is not a message on gossip. I'm throwing this in completely for free. Aren't you glad you came this morning? A lot of people consider gossip, well, yeah, I know it's not right. It's a little sin compared to a lot of them. Isn't it funny how we choose to compartmentalize our, our little sins? Then you get your medium-sized sins, then you got the whoppers down here, you know. And we think as long as we're not committing the whoppers or the mediums and all we got is a few small ones, hey, he's probably going to let us through the gate. And yet sin is sin. And God has already told us there's no sin that can enter the kingdom of heaven. But we, we like to kind of compartmentalize these and categorize these things. When the fact is gossip, man, gossip is the ultimate killer. People think, well, yeah, I gossip a little, but you know, it's not like I murdered somebody. No, gossip is the ultimate killer. Gossip kills untold numbers of friendships. Gossip has killed families. Gossip can kill a church quicker than you can believe. Gossip kills other people's character. 
You know, someone, here's another quote someone said. They said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. We have to learn to discipline our tongue. And like Daniel, how disciplined is our prayer life? You know, I've often wondered how many of the people that moan and cry because prayer was taken out of the schools, you know, how many of them spend much time in prayer themselves? Or did you just like to do a lot of moaning and groaning? People are very quick to defend the Bible in public, and yet they almost deny it in the privacy of their home. We're very quick sometimes to bemoan the moral decay of our nation. But how much time do we spend in prayer for our nation and its leaders? And I'm telling you right now, the tide needs to turn. We all need to be down on our knees spending a lot of time praying for our nation and its leaders. More than ever. If you've copped an attitude, well, if this guy gets in, I'm not praying for him. He can just, you know. Boy, I tell you, that's the wrong attitude. As Christians, we need to be on our knees praying more than ever. Knowing that God is in control. God is in control. We have to keep telling ourselves that. We have to keep believing that because it is true. God is in control. Nothing is catching God off guard. We need discipline in our church life. How faithful are we to attend church? You know, as long as nothing better comes up. Parents, your kids are watching you, man. They are watching you. So mom and dad didn't go to church. We're not going to church this morning. How come? And then, well, because of, oh, I see. So I'm on my soapbox now, but I'm going to climb back down. Don't worry. Discipline our, our church life. If somebody's spiritual eyes are really open, they're always going to see that they need the church more than the church needs them. As soon as we cop an attitude that says, boy, I tell you, at my church, if they, if they ever lose me, they're in trouble. I'm telling you right now, and this goes for me as well. I'm the pastor of the church, and I firmly believe I need the church more than the church needs me. God is always going to put somebody in charge. And it's somebody who wants to put character over comfort. So, we all need a place to gather where we can receive godly wisdom, have fellowship with each other. It's so important. It strengthens us to be around believers. We all have our weekdays. We all have our days of strength. And that's why we need to be around each other to help balance the church and the people that make the church. Because not everybody has a great day every day, right? Man, sometimes we all have stinky, stinky days. And boy, we just so much need the strength of our friends and our, the believers around us. Because, and that... And that will turn at points. And they need our help. They need our strength. The church is a place where we hold and lift each other up, where we pray for each other in the tough times and we celebrate together in the great times. Daniel excelled in life because he chose discipline 
over disorder. And his third decision was this. Daniel chose love of God over life. Nothing was going to shake that. He was going to choose the love of God over his own very life. You know, as a teenager, right up front, he put that on the line by refusing the king's food. His love for God was always more important than his own life. And Daniel continued. He continued to make that choice every day of his life. The king's advisors, they knew they weren't going to find anything morally wrong in Daniel. They, they're saying, you know, this guy, we can't find anything. The only way this guy would ever get in trouble is if they had a law against praying. Hey, there you go. And so the next thing you know, they go before the king. They blow his head all up and say, King, you are so incredible. You are so great. You ought to pass a law that says nobody can pray unless they're praying to you because, man, you are so incredible. And the king, you know, he sucking up all of this uh, praise and adoration. He said, well, maybe we'll, let's just do that. Never dawning on him the consequences of his bad decision. So the next thing you know, there's the law. No praying unless you're praying to the king, and it didn't bother Daniel, did it? He just kept on praying just like they knew he would do. So how many people that you know would be that confident of your actions if worshiping God became illegal? And this is not beyond the realm of possibility in years to come. It's already, it's already law in many nations in this world. So to think it could never happen here is probably a little short-sighted. Does that mean we lose? No, it doesn't mean we lose. We're going to continue doing continue serving God no matter what happens. But if all of a sudden it was law, you if we catch you gathering in a church to worship God, you're going to jail. It just does make you wonder how many people we'd have in church on Sunday. You want me to move on? I'll move on here. I could tell you are getting a little nervous. So, the king gets sucked into this deal, makes this law, and then we know Daniel is in fact thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel's first love was God. He, again, he chooses, he chooses love, God, love for God over his own life. And so the king was very sad. I mean, he was sad and he was mad at the same time. He was sad that he had adopted this law. He was mad at these knuckleheads that talked him into it and mad at himself for being sucked in. He's upset about this stupid law. I love verse 23. It says, The king was overjoyed in the morning, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted, lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. God kept the lion's mouth shut while Daniel was in there. Those other guys didn't fare too well. They were lunch. Not just them, their wives, their kids, everybody. Lunch. I tell you, if you choose to your own life over God's love, it's going to eat your lunch. 
That's a fact. Time and time again, Daniel chose love over God's life, uh, chose love over his own life. And it raises this question this morning What is following Jesus costing you today? Think about it for a minute. What serving Jesus, what's it costing you? Because I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say this. If you feel like it's really not costing you much of anything, there is a very good chance that you have turned your faith of commitment uh, more into a faith of convenience. Because I'm just telling you, serving God is going to cost us something. Salvation is free, but a life of service to God is going to cost us something. You know, we live in a world that loves to replace loves to replace self-denial with self-service, right? But like Daniel, we're not going to be isolated from painful experiences. That had to be no walk in the park, walking and being put in that lion's den. I'm sure it's going to make anybody a little nervous. That, that's a stressful day, right? But it didn't change his character. It didn't change his choice. He continued to make those three choices in his life. And God was faithful to shut the mouth of the lion. So we may face the lion, but we are not going to be devoured. In the end, we're going to win. In the end, we're going to have eternal life. Is there any prize that tops that? No, we win. We win if we continue to choose character over comfort. We win if we continue to choose discipline in our life over disorder. And we win if we continue to choose the love of God over even our very own life. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.